0: Hey there, all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome back to another episode of Best in SaaS, where each week we take you behind the scenes for conversations with some of Silicon Valley's best and brightest operators and investors. Crack a beer, get comfortable, and join us on our quest to find the patterns and playbooks that accelerate the sprint to 10 million of that good stuff, that repeatable stuff, that stuff we call ARR. All right. So today, I'd like to welcome Scott Lee to the show. Um, Scott is a six-time startup sales leader, two-time founder. Uh, he has a number one Amazon best-selling book, and is a strategic advisor to tons of companies. I won't list them because there are too many to list, um, among many other things. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Eli. I'm glad to be here, man. Absolutely. So let's start like way at the beginning. I mean, you've, you've had like a storied sales career and it seems like it's only just continuing to, to grow like crazy. You've got surf and sales. Uh, like what sparked your interest to begin with in sales? Like how did your journey begin?
1: It's uh, <clears throat> actually kind of born of of desperation, to be honest with you. And, and a lack of, of, uh, of alternatives and, and options. I, I never had a business mind. I never studied um, you know, marketing or anything like that. Um, in, in my in my youth, I mean, all I cared about when I was in high school was playing sports, and um, I played four sports throughout almost all of high school. Narrowed it down to two that I was really good at. Played those two sports in college. So I, I played college tennis and college soccer at the D two level. We had really good teams. So you know, I was playing all the time, traveling all the time. No time to work. Um, and in school I was studying psychology and religious studies. So just like subjects that I thought were interesting, you know, not at all thinking about like, you know, making money or business. And this is like the late nineties, right? So like the very first dot com boom, like I totally fucking had no idea what was going on, Um, (laughs) uh, ridiculous because I was going to school in Marin County, which is like, you know, just North of San Francisco. But I, I was just absolutely not thinking about that stuff at all. I um, ended up going to grad school at Arizona State and uh, you know right when I was finishing grad school I was 23 years old and I got super sick um, and that began a four-year battle um, in and out of the hospital more time more in the hospital than not um, you know I, I usually tell the story as I basically spent four years in the hospital fighting for my life got a couple autoimmune diseases and um, ended up having, a series of surgeries. I've had nine surgeries in total, four um, emergency surgeries, two that were life-saving. Got addicted to opioids through all that medical uh, stuff. So, I had to kick off of uh, off of drugs. So, you know, here I am finally at 27 years old. Um, I, I am living in San Francisco. My, my wife is going to go to UC Berkeley for grad school and I, you know, have never worked. But like, I literally have never had any kind of job that wasn't, you know, coaching sports or getting paid to play sports or something like that. So I looked around and was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. My, my education is worthless. Like I, I haven't read or studied this stuff in four years. Like, where can I make money? And The only thing I could think of was, well, I know salespeople get paid really well. And I know that the harder you work and the better you do, you earn more. Uh, and I understood that as a, as a competitive athlete. Um, and so that was my, that was my thought process. That was literally all I thought about in terms of why I decided to go into sales. It wasn't like, oh, I might be good at this or, um, you know, this is really interesting or anything like that. It was, where can I go make money? Because the one thing that I kind of felt about myself was I'm willing to outwork anybody, and I have literally been through hell for four years, so there's nothing that I'm about to face that will be harder than what I just dealt with. So that that was it, man! It's totally round, you know, roundabout, non-traditional way to get into the into the field.
0: I love that. And, and, and so, uh, this is totally off-topic from you know what we're supposed to be covering in best in SaaS, but I'm going to go there anyway because it's top of mind now. Which yeah, is there's no rules anymore,
1: by yeah. the way. <laughs>
0: Let's throw them out. There go. They're out the door. Uh, so you know you you basically uh, when people when people are picking their careers air quotes picking their careers which for many of us happens multiple times over um you know a lot of the time it's based on trying to figure out where you have skills or you know you invested a ton in an education or maybe you didn't have an education and that therefore steers you into a certain path but i mean for you that was you're just like fuck it this is this yeah. is like it, it maps why not go for it uh, yeah. so do you, do you think that sales just in general is that like that the opportunity is there in sales as a field for oh, anyone that wants to take it?
1: a hundred percent. A hundred percent. It is, um, one of the careers that you, career paths you can take to make a significant amount of money where you still don't need any kind of higher education, uh, to get involved is an extremely low barrier to entry. Um, you know, you don't have to have any kind of certifications or courses or, or anything depending on where you apply. Um, so I absolutely fundamentally believe that, and you know, it's one of the reasons I wrote my book, um, Addicted to the Process. I wrote it for people who are looking to get into sales for the first time or who are kind of younger and, and and newer in their career because it's like a place where a bunch of people go when they don't know what to do with themselves. You know, honestly, and. You know, we're not people who have law degrees and medical degrees and, you know, haven't gotten MBAs often. But we're like people who, you know, have some charisma and like to like to talk our way into and out of situations. And, you know, we got different type of type of smarts, uh, but we've never known really where to apply it or how to apply it. So you think about all the people with all these liberal arts degrees like me who get out of school and they're like, well, fuck, now what do I do? <laughs> right, there's some, there's some crazy stat that like 60 to 70 percent of new college graduates will go into some type of sales role uh, as their first job out of school. I, ju- I just was recording a podcast with uh, Dr. Richard Condi, who's a um, who teaches at University of Houston downtown, and he was telling me this this kind of statistic. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree that it is a career path people can take with very low barrier to entry. You don't need education to get into it. You don't need to have prior experience. You just have to really commit yourself once you get there.
0: I have this kind of joke that I don't know if I've ever vocalized to a larger audience, but, uh, and it probably isn't super true, but, um, I, I kind of joke that when I started my first SaaS business and we raised our first big venture round, uh, the only reason why we did that is because they forgot to ask me what year what year I graduated Stanford, <laughs> because I I dropped out of art school like I <laughs> you know, I don't fit the I don't fit yeah. the mold so um, <laughs> similar similar but um cool so let's let's now let's fast forward right you were VP of sales at Main Street Hub um, among many other places and then that you know you grew that business massively before it was acquired by GoDaddy so I'd love to hear kind of where, where in your journey was that as far as, you know, was that foundational? Was that leveraging a bunch of lessons that you had already learned and kind of you know, how did that fit in your puzzle?
1: That, to me, that was sort of, um, going into the big leagues for the first time. Like I had had three head of sales roles, VP of sales roles, whatever the job titles were, um, <clears throat> already. Um, but the Main Street Hub gig felt like, just a different kind of, um, a different kind of playing field. We had, we had raised, raised a little bit more money. I had relocated my family from the Bay area to Austin for the opportunity. We, we actually relocated the whole company from San Francisco to Austin. Um, so it felt like, you know, there was a lot riding on it. I felt like I could see a clear path to a particular kind of revenue number and potential exit. Um, and I absolutely felt like I could leverage my past experience Um, you know, building and scaling sales orgs um, to make this happen. It was, you know, kind of an SMB transactional sale. I had had experience doing that. I had grown teams from zero to almost 200 before in in multiple states already. So I felt like I had like the playbook and the pedigree kind of down and I felt like, okay, these last couple gigs I had had, they all just prepared me for this one right here, uh, and I think that really helped me a lot.
0: What I mean, going full cycle through acquisition to GoDaddy. Now looking back on that experience, like, are there any takeaways that you bring with you as best practices or as playbooks that that you didn't have in your belt before going through that that full cycle experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can could, I could tell you the most important one to me is uh, investing in sales operations. You know, <laughs> I yes. made a very conscious effort at Main Street Hub to lobby very very hard to get a sales operations hire as soon as humanly possible. Um, and I had been devoid of resources in in my prior three VP of Sales roles, from having no tech help to no personnel help or whatever, and uh, I just sort of you know, drew a line in the sand for myself. It's like, I'm not going to work anyplace anymore unless the first person I can hire is a is like a sales ops manager, a head of sales ops. Um, that's the, and I've stuck with that and I continue to teach and preach that. I, in fact, I've I've had multiple conversations this week with VPs of sales um, from big, huge companies all the way on down to ones who are building out their sales work for the first time right now. And like, I can't stress enough how important that is. You know, I, as an early VP, um, should not be spending my time trying to figure out how to build, you know, Salesforce reports and workflows and all this kind of stuff. Like that's not my skill set. you know, there might be some, some VPs who have gotten good at this. That's not me. I need to figure out how to sell this product. I need to recruit. I need to train people. I need to build the the whole process. I know what metrics to look at. I just don't want to be the one building all that crap. Um, so that that was a big lesson, um, and we were able to implement that at Main Street Hub, and I, I've carried that on in my in my career. So
0: uh, it's interesting your your thesis around the advising and, and sales work that you do, the consulting, is almost identical to what we do on the marketing front. As far as you know, you're you're all you're f- focused on the revenue sprint from zero to twenty five million ARR. Um, and you know I look just looking at your roster, like right? always hired hoopla, stratify, prodigy software um, so i'm curious what what is it like when you go into these companies, what are the the most common mistakes that you see, like a series a well funded nothing but opportunity ahead of them, what are the most common mistakes you see them making? And you don't have to give us names, but if you could dive into maybe some of those stories uh, of specifically like what you see commonly fucked up. Jeez.
1: You know, <laughs> what's, what's interesting is, is how often the companies fuck up the same thing. So right. one of the things I find myself saying all the time is, hey, don't feel bad, guys. Like, you're not the only one to have fucked this up. <laughs> um, one of the one of some of the things that they do, you know, they have no idea what their ICP is, their ideal customer at all. Preach. So they're just like you know reaching out to God knows who in God knows what location. But uh, Scott,
0: every everyone wants their software. Yeah, exactly. they, they just need to hear about it. Everybody wants it. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. They've all been <laughs> they've all been dying for it. They've been waiting. Yeah, for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that one drives me nuts. Um, the worst possible sin, though is they just don't know how to how to sell candidly, like they just call you up and say, Hey, Eli uh my name's Scott I'm with a company called Main Street Hub. This is what we do. would love to show you it, and I'm just like, what are you doing that I just <laughs> like hate that pitch and approach, and I see it all the fucking time and it drives me nuts you know and I, I wrote a whole book about it, and you know my life experience kind of taught me that. Selling is very similar to the recovery process. Like, I'm not going to get you to buy from me if I don't get you to admit that you have a problem, if you don't understand why that problem is important, and if you don't feel any kind of urgency to address the problem. Then and only then is somebody going to be interested in the solution. And salespeople and and founders who are selling fuck this up, like, all the time. All the time. Um, I see people hire, you know, an AE pay them over a hundred thousand dollars as their initial like salesperson because they quote unquote don't want to hire an expensive sales leader which is actually not that much more expensive in some markets (laughs) uh and so that salesperson goes in they have no kind of process whatsoever They, they they don't have any kind of repeatable scalable pitch or approach or anything it's all just very haphazard um Founders in particular make the mistake of thinking everybody is going to be enamored with their little baby the same way they are. So inevitably I have to simplify the pitch all the time and try to explain to them, look, just because your toy can do a hundred things doesn't mean your buyers care about those 100 things. Okay. Um, I I often tell the story of, of like me going onto a car lot to buy a car because I'm not a car guy at all. I I I drive like two hybrids. I've had like three different Priuses in my life. All I care about is like the gas mileage and like the color maybe. Okay. And, and maybe is it like safe for my kids? <laughs> uh, so if I go into a car lot and the sales guy starts talking to me about the braking speed and the tire size and the weight of the engine and the zero to 60, like you're just fucking losing me, dude. I don't care about all that stuff. And I'm just going to be like, Go away! You just and, want
0: to know if you can sneak into those Whole Foods parking spots, like as quiet right. as quietly as possible.
1: You know, That's all, right? That's all I care about. That's all I care about. So I don't understand why why sellers and founders in particular they're just like I think they're just too close to it, right? It's like you know, people don't care about all these different features. You have got to find out what things matter to them first, so you can know what to talk about. So these are these are some of the you know really common mistakes that I that I see people uh, make at the beginning. How, how, so
0: I think a lot of founders out there who are listening to this are saying to themselves, oh, I'm not that guy, or I'm not that gal. Like, that's not me. You know, like we've got this down. We're, they really do care about our product. Is there a, like, how do you help founders have that aha moment where they realize, oh shit, like I've been talking about product and features and nobody's buying, or maybe we've la- luckily landed some relationship sales. But like, what? What, what do you do to illustrate that to them?
1: I mean, I think you just said it. You, you just ask them, you know, where are your deals coming from right now? Yeah. And if they're coming from introductions and relationships, then that is not a scalable process whatsoever. Okay. <clears throat> so you've got to get outside of this little bubble. Uh, to test whether there actually is an appetite for for your product, um, and then I, one of the things that seems to resonate with founders is, I try to explain to them like, look, you know this market better than anyone, and you know your product better than anyone. Um, so you might be comfortable just ad libbing conversations, and and you might be good enough and passionate enough to get a couple people to buy. But that's not what we're trying to solve for. We're trying to solve for hiring. Five to 50 people in the next two years who don't know anything about this industry or product at all, okay, who have sometimes limited, if no, sales experience whatsoever. And so we've got to get the information that's trapped inside of your head right now onto paper. We got to get it out of your head and onto paper so we can get everybody else to be, you know, somewhat as savvy as you are uh about speaking about this this product and this and this industry. And we've gotta simplify it. Like if have you ever tried to explain to your grandmother what your product does? You know, if her eyes glaze over, then it's a bit too complicated. If you can't talk to your significant other significant other about what what you do, um, you know, without them understanding it in 30 to 60 seconds, then it's too complicated. But you just gotta keep working to kind of dumb things down. It doesn't mean you throw out all the information and all the detail. It just means it you don't have to lead with it. Just keep that stuff, you know, in the back burner, so to speak. Keep it in your back pocket in case you in case you do need it. So I, I really for me, I just try to hit it head on. I'm just like, look, you know, <laughs> you're you might think that you've got this pitch down and everything, but like you're reaching out to me telling me that sales are stagnant, that you know, the couple people that you hired uh, has not been able to close deals the same way you have. And, you know, it it becomes quite obvious to them.
0: Sure. So as we wind this down, you know, I I always love to find out what inspirations, whether, you know, it's it's people, mentors, even peers just who are doing great work out there in the industry um, have helped pave your way Um, or keep you inspired through your career?
1: Yeah, you know, um, there's a couple people that I have cited uh, recently. And I know, you know, one of my, I would say my biggest mistakes or biggest weaknesses is that I've never had a good mentor, um, sales mentor or, or business mentor. I mean, when I was getting started, there was no such thing as LinkedIn or, you know, any of the other communities that are out there. Um, there's no podcasts, right? There's, it feels like there was a lot, It was a lot harder to get access to people and information. So I really screwed that, that part up. But, you know, there was one sales trainer, uh, at my first ever sales job named Mike Lindstrom, who used to work with Tony Robbins and, you know, he's super motivating and, and like challenging. And, um, I felt like he believed in me. And so he was somebody that, you know, I still keep in contact with to this day. Um, you know, my my business partner in surfing sales, um, Richard Harris, I mean, he kind of has pestered me for years now to stop working for other people and go into business for myself. Um, a couple of friends of mine, John Burrows and Kevin Dorsey, uh, both kind of said the same thing to me and have given me some advice and guidance. Um, so, you know, th- these are really sharp, savvy people. Um, but they're people, I think, who have just kind of been in my corner and and kept me motivated and, you know, their belief in me has been helpful, you know, as I try to tackle new things and new challenges and, and build, build upon, you know, past success to hopefully propel myself forward and, and do even better.
0: Well, Scott, it sounds like things are, things are only just getting even started for you. I mean, you, you've already had an amazing career thus far and it seems like you just keep ramping it up and up and up. So Super excited to follow along with your journey. And and thank you so much for joining on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Eli. It's good to talk to you, man.